The film came out of a camera mounted in a Russian satellite. It belonged to the Russians? Well, that's a delicate point. It was our camera. We developed it. The decadent British. It's not a bad piece of engineering. Took three years to develop, round-the-clock work. Can't be duplicated for another two years because of certain British processes in grinding lenses. It really is an incredible piece of machinery. It's got a focal length of... Uh, well, it can uh, photograph a packet of cigarettes from 300 miles up in space on a tiny negative capable of infinite enlargement. You see, your American lads, you came up with a, a new film emulsion, very hush-hush, but a hundred times more sensitive than anything previously available. And the negative is miraculously developed within the satellite itself. Hi, this is Mike Haber. And I'm Mike Mizgleski. And welcome to the 15th podcast of the Jim Church School of Digital Underwater Photography. We're bringing you this podcast from Georgetown Harbor in Grand Cayman aboard the Cayman Aggressor 4. We've just completed another smashing digital underwater photo class, and once again, there's plenty of stories to tell and great photos to show for our week in the beautiful waters of the Cayman Islands. Every week, we give you our take on some ways to improve your underwater digital photography. Today's tips are a direct result of this week's experiences. During every photo class, or any dive trip for that matter, we can expect something to go wrong. It's Murphy's Law, and it's inevitable. While this week's class was as successful as it was fun, there were some technical glitches that we encountered along the way. Hey, let's face it, anytime you put 18 photographers and all of their equipment together, you're bound to have a few hiccups. It occurred to us that a list of some of these issues and their subsequent solutions might be valuable to other photographers, especially for photographers about to leave on their own photo adventures. It also provided Mike and I the grist for another podcast. In no particular order, here are a few of this week's challenges, all equipment related. Some were gear failures, some were human-induced problems. One student this week was shooting a Nikon D70 in a Nikolite housing with a Nikonos SP-105 strobe. Over the first several dives, his photos were plagued with a consistent lack of strobe light. In water, we observed that his strobe was positioned correctly and it was actually firing. His f-stops were appropriate for the strobe to subject distance, and his shutter speeds were always within the camera's strobe sync capability. Topside, we tested the strobe output with a digital light meter, and it was delivering a perfectly full power exposure. So what was going on? This was a brand new system, and it was the very first time it had been in water, so we had no prior history of its behavior. After some extensive testing, we surmised that there was an incompatibility between the housing strobe exposure control circuitry and the SB-105. Well, this incompatibility was causing the strobe to fire before the camera's shutter would open, causing no strobe light to reach the sensor. It didn't matter if the circuitry was set on TTL control or manual control. 
Our infield solution was to limit the communication between the strobe and the camera via the housing circuitry. We did this by putting some vinyl tape over three of the five contact pins on the D70's hot shoe. This made the communication between the camera and the strobe one simple command. Fire now. After our band-aid fix, the housing and strobe were used successfully for the remainder of the week. The Eichlite circuitry was engineered to work satisfactorily with Eichlite strobes. Unfortunately, when a non-Eichlite strobe is used, the circuitry confused the camera. While our solution was a band-aid fix, a permanent solution that will not require vinyl tape is to replace the 5-pin TTL cord with a 3-pin non-TTL cord. The next three problems that we encountered involved compact flashcards. Two were man-made, the third was related to memory card voodoo. The man-made situations are common and easily avoided. On several occasions, students would use a memory card on a dive, remove the card from the camera, then mistakenly reinstall the same memory card into the camera, thinking that it was their backup card. Well, you guessed what happened next. They formatted the memory card without ever having downloaded the images. Ouch! This whole issue can be avoided by clearly marking your memory cards with a number or a letter which distinguishes it from any other memory card. If you get into the habit of rotating your memory cards in the order they're marked, chances are you'll avoid this disaster before it ever happens. The second man-made situation is one that most of us have probably encountered at one time or another. You're all set for the dive, you've got a fresh set of batteries in the strobe and the camera, everything's working perfectly. You got a fresh card in the camera, or so you think, to record a full dive's worth of beautiful images. Only you've forgotten to format the card. Well, what's the big deal, you say? You can always format it in the camera after you begin the dive. Well, that's true. But let's suppose that the memory card that you forgot to format was 80% full at the start of the dive. You might only realize your mistake when the camera informs you that the memory card is full after you've filled that remaining 20%. If you format the card now, you'll lose the photos that you've taken during this current dive. Your options are to stop taking pictures for that dive or to spend precious dive time erasing images individually in order to make room on the memory card. Neither is a good choice. The solution is to follow a pre-dive ritual that includes formatting your memory card when you put it in your camera. Now just make sure that you're formatting the correct card, referred to memory card mistake number one earlier in this podcast. You might consider taping a small checklist of pre-dive steps to the back of your housing. The third memory card situation occurs when your card suddenly becomes unreadable by your camera or computer and you've seemingly lost your precious work. Most memory card manufacturers have some software that allows you to troubleshoot your card. Lexar, for example, has a software called Image Rescue that allows you to perform several tasks in your computer including image recovery, formatting, card testing, and secure erasing. Now we suggest that you contact the manufacturer of your memory card and get the latest version of their software if they have a software program and travel with it. It could save an entire shoot for you. Also, and this is very important, carry more than enough cards. If one goes bad during a trip and the manufacturer's software doesn't do the trick, move on to the next card. Another common problem that some of the DSLR shooters face this week 
was in entering the water with the lens's auto manual focus switch set to manual. In every instance, those housings had no external control to switch the lens back to autofocus or to manually focus the lens. So dive time was rudely interrupted in order to come back to the boat, crack open the housing, and reset the switch to the proper position. That's one more item to add to the pre-dive checklist that you've taped to the back of your housing. Now the last problem is a biggie. And luckily, it didn't happen to anyone on this week's trip. It happened to a good friend of ours just before we left Miami to come here to Grand Cayman. It seems that our friend spent the previous week shooting in the waters off the Florida Keys. He had all of his images from the week stored on his laptop computer. Before he had the opportunity to back up the images, he inadvertently trashed the folder that they resided in. Yikes! Now this particular story has a bit of a happy ending. He was able to take the computer to a company that specializes in retrieving lost data, and he got back most of what he shot. He was very lucky. Had he been shooting in a more remote location, such as Indonesia or Fiji when this occurred, the resources might not have been available to salvage his work. Now our 2020 hindsight solution to this scenario is to store your images in two places. If you travel with a laptop, you can either burn a CD or DVD of your files, or you can travel with an additional hard drive to back up your photos. Mike and I travel with smart disk Firelight drives. They're about the size of a pack of cigarettes and are currently available in sizes up to 120 gigs. But there are plenty of other good options out there. Geez, in a pinch, certain iPods can store those precious files if your iPod doesn't have too much music on it. After years of observing bad things happen to hard drives and memory cards, we've developed the habit of copying our images to two separate places as soon as possible after a dive. Only after the images reside in two places do we format the memory card. Once we've collected enough images to fill a DVD, we burn them to one of those as well. Now that may seem like overkill, but we've seen some pretty distraught photographers over the years. And better to be safe than, well, you know the rest. We'd like to thank Captain Sam Fisher of the Cayman Aggressor and his fabulous crew for making this such a great week. Their tireless effort and attention to detail was as terrific as always. And also as always, we enjoy hearing from you, so please continue to send us your ideas for future podcasts. You can do this by emailing us at podcast at jimchurchphoto.com. Remember that you can get all the archives of our previous podcasts on our website by clicking on the podcast button at the top of the homepage, www.jimchurchphoto.com. One last thing. Next week, we'll be posting another student photo podcast on our website. This podcast will include our Cayman Aggressor students talking about their best shots of the week. The link to it will be found on our July podcast page. The actual student photos will be posted on that podcast page as well. Until next week, this is Mike Haber. And I'm Mike Mezgleski, and we'll be seeing you on our next podcast. What size is the film? 
four and a half inch reel, 16 millimeter in an insulated aluminium capsule. And all of a sudden, you know, a whole damn lot about my business.